Now, how many of you know religious people? Anybody know some religious people? How many of you used to be one of those? <laughs> you know, it's amazing to me that you can be very religious but not know God. It's amazing. You would think that would be impossible, but unfortunately, it's very possible. In fact, it's been a problem for thousands of years. People will get religious and they miss God. They don't know God. And the parable we're going to talk about this morning really deals with that issue. Let me just kind of set the stage for you. Uh, This is near the end of Jesus' ministry. We're going to look in Matthew 21. Well, the beginning of Matthew 21, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and it's Palm Sunday. It's the time everybody remembers because they lay down the palm leaves, and he's riding on a donkey. It looks like it's a fulfillment of the Messiah because the, the prophetic word was the Messiah would come riding on a lowly donkey into Jerusalem, and the people lay down the palm leaves. They cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. All that is a prophetic word about the Messiah. Uh, The word about Jesus healing so many people, doing so many miracles, has spread throughout the whole region. And so people are excited. And the, the religious Jews, you know, they're very upset that Jesus didn't do anything to stop the people from laying down those leaves and from crying out to him and calling him the son of David. They didn't like that. Now, you would have thought that Jesus already knew he was not a real favorite of the religious Jews. Uh, And that the way he should have come, they're thinking, well, he ought to come in quiet and just kind of sneak in the town and not, not cause a lot of uproar. But Jesus was not interested in what they thought. He had a mission He was on a mission to fulfill the plan of God. He knew his time on earth was about over. And so immediately after coming into Jerusalem and they do all this and declare him son of David, what does he do? He goes right to the temple and he starts turning over the the tables in the temple, cleaning out the temple, telling them they've turned it into a den of thieves. And he said, my temple, God says my temple will be a place of prayer. So another way to not really engender a lot of friends among the Jews, they're really upset with him. And so they try to trick him. They, they say, by what authority do you do these things that you're doing? And Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you if you'll answer me one question. The baptism of John, was that of God or was that of man? And so they start getting together and they're thinking about it and they're trying to make up their mind. And they realize no matter what they say, they're going to lose. So he has them, and they say, we don't know. And he says, well, I'm not going to tell you my authority either. And then he looks at the religious Jews, and he begins to give them not one but two parables. And these are two of the most unique and powerful testimonies, parables, to the religious Jews. Most of his parables, he was teaching his people, his disciples. But these two were unique in that they were directed at the religious Jews, the religious leaders. Jesus had a mission 
the part of that mission was to expose the emptiness that dead religion will bring you. He wanted to expose how blind the Jewish leaders had become. They were supposed to be leading people to God, but it was the blind leading the blind. And so he began to expose through these parables, he began to expose their real heart. And he wanted us to know. And the, the, the truth behind these parables echo through the generations. They're still speaking to generations nearly 2,000 years later. And so I want us to not miss the truth that Jesus spoke through these two parables. Because it is a clear warning how that becoming religious can actually become detrimental to your spiritual health. And so I'm going to read the two parables. He actually does them back to back. He teaches a small parable. They both have to do with the vineyard. But they're a little different. One gets The second one's a little stronger than the first one. So let's read them, and then we'll try to glean what I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to say through both of these parables. Parable 1 uh, is in Matthew 21, verse 28. It's a short one. But what do you think about this? A man with sons told the older boy, son, go out and work the vineyard. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, this is the religious Jews now. They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. And this is pretty powerful. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors... And prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. You know they love that. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. And while tax collectors and prostitutes did, even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. So he was comparing them to the second son that said they would obey God, but they're not obeying God because they're missing. They're missing the Son of God who is standing in front of them. They had all the prophetic words showing them who Jesus was, and yet they missed it. They missed it because they were blinded to the truth. Let's look at the second parable. He follows up next verse. He wants to tell them another parable. Verse 33, now listen to another story. Certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, built a lookout tower. He leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and then stoned another. And then verse 36, so the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returned, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied he will put those wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give them his share of the crop after each harvest obviously 
up until this point, they haven't really picked up on the fact that they're the wicked farmers. They're just answering in the natural. They're, they're with the parable. They're answering the question. They had, don't really see it. So now Jesus says to them this. this he says, Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone who falls on, it falls on. When the leading priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So they got it. They finally picked up on the truth that they were the wicked farmers, that they were the whole object of both of these parables. You know, it's kind of interesting. They handled the first one when he said, harlots, prostitutes, tax collectors, they're going to get into the kingdom of God before you. They're thinking to themselves, well, we don't really appreciate that, but at least we're going to get into the kingdom of God. They're just going to beat us. So they're not too terribly upset. But now Jesus really turns it a little bit tighter and he says, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you. He's saying, you're going to miss the kingdom of God. And it's going to be given to a people, a different people who will produce fruit. When he, they realized he was telling the religious people of the day, you're going to miss the kingdom of God. That's when they got angry. That's when they began plotting to murder Jesus. Interestingly enough, Jesus says that the son is going to be murdered by the wicked farmers. He literally predicted his own death in the midst of the, of the parable. But more importantly, I believe Jesus wanted us to learn something. And I, again, I believe this is a warning concerning becoming so religious that you miss God altogether. So I want us to see four truths, I believe, that are here, that are obvious. First one, and that is being religious can blind us to the truth. Being religious can blind you to the truth. You literally, and they were blind. Jesus was the Son of God. He was God incarnate, living right there, standing among them. He was right in front of them. He was God's own Son and had proved it through His miracles, and yet they did not see who He was. They were blind. Why were they blind? Why were they blind? Because this is the problem that happens when you begin to think your rules and your regulations and your rituals, you think those are the main thing. And you begin to trust in those rituals 
think that that's what God is interested in. You see, they felt like they were okay with God because they kept the rituals, they kept the laws, they kept the the, the things that God had said in the Old Testament, that God had told Moses. They believed that by keeping those rituals, they were fine. And Jesus wanted them to know, no, you've missed the whole point. You see, Jesus is not, he did not come so that we would live a life of rules. He came to give us life. He came to give us life more abundantly. He came to give us relationship. The problem is, is that religion and relationship have gotten all mixed up. And people have traded, they've substituted relationship with God with rituals. They think that by doing this and doing that and keeping this and not keeping that, they think that that is what God is interested in. And, you know, Jesus came to say it. And I believe he used these parables as an opportunity to say to the religious people throughout ages. Because, folks, this is a problem today. We still have religious people who have missed the truth. You might have moms and dads and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and friends who were very religious but do not know God. You know, Jesus actually dealt with this just a few chapters later. It's in Matthew 23. And I'm going to read just a portion of it, just 25 through 28. Look what Jesus said. He said, what sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish. Then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees. You're hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside with dead men's bones and all sorts of impurity. He said, you're so careful about the outside. You're so careful to do these things on the outside, but on the inside, you're wicked. You say, well, how does that apply to today? And you know, every Mardi Gras, I'm amazed how people think they're going to live like the devil on Tuesday. And Wednesday, they're going to go to somewhere and get some ashes on their head and somehow that's going to uh, absolve everything they did on Tuesday. It's the same mentality. You don't have this relationship with God and then think this sin is going to be okay, but you're not worried about what's on the inside. Jesus came to set us free on the inside, to clean us up on the inside so that we can have a relationship with God. And, you know, when I came to South Louisiana almost 40 years ago, you know, it it was difficult for me to understand how so many people were so religious and yet were like what Jesus said, full of dead men's bones. Because religion... Without Jesus, without being born again, it blinds us. It makes us blind and we miss the whole point of what, why Jesus came. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could live a life of rules. Jesus died on the cross so we could have a life 
relationship with God who could we could love him with all of our heart and he could love us with all of his heart and we could have abundant life in Christ and yet it is a clear warning be careful that you don't get focused on the doing you know a lot of people say well why did God give us the rules in the Old Testament especially why did he give us the Ten Commandments what was all that about Every rule, all the things of the Old Testament, they were there to teach us obedience to God. He wanted to prepare the hearts of his people to learn how to obey God. And through obeying God would learn more of his ways, would learn more of his character and his nature. It was all preparation to recognize Jesus and receive Jesus and to be born of the Spirit. You see, the law was designed where you realize that you cannot keep the law. you No one can keep the law. No one can be good enough to keep all of the law. That's why the lawgiver, Jesus, who, the, who was the Word in the beginning, the one who spoke the Word, He comes to live on the inside of us. And He begins to fulfill the law inside of us by changing our hearts, changing our desires. Again, the warning is clear. Being religious can, it can blind us. The second thing that I want us to see that is so important here, and that is sinners will come to God before religious people. Did you catch that in the first parable? That was pretty powerful. He tells the parable about the two sons. One says, oh, I'm not going to go, but then later goes. He does the right thing. And then the second son's, oh, yeah, I'm going to go. But he doesn't go. And he's comparing them to the religious people. You see, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're the ones that first resist God. They're the ones that first are in rebellion to God. But then they turn and repent and come to God and are obedient. But the religious Jews... They're like the ones who say, oh, yes, we love God. We love God. We'll do the right thing. We'll obey Him. But then in turn, they never repent. They don't turn. And so they never walk in obedience. And Jesus, after telling that first parable, He speaks to them and says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're going to come into the kingdom of God before you do. Now, just ask yourself, why is that true? Actually, it's pretty simple. And, and I'll speak in terms of like a hurdle. The sinner really only has one hurdle to get over. They don't have to get over the hurdle of realizing they're a sinner. Most sinners pretty well know they're sinners. You know, when you're a dirty, rotten sinner, you know you're a dirty, rotten sinner. You know you, you need a Savior. You, you know you have problems. You can see yourself. You know you're not trying to pretend anything. You know you're a mess. So they don't have to jump over that hurdle. They've already figured out they're a sinner. What they have to do, they have to see Jesus as the way of salvation. They have to see Jesus as the one who can save them. So they really just to have one thing they have to come to understanding, and that is Jesus is the way I can be saved. Jesus is the one that can set, set me free. But the religious people, they've got more hurdles. They've got two or three. The first hurdle that they're going to have to get over is they're going to have to acknowledge 
their religious ways cannot save them. They're going to have to decide that their way of salvation is incorrect. They're going to have to come to the realization that their keeping the law will not save them. And, you know, that's going to be a tough nut to crack. Some people, they would rather die in their sins than admit that they're wrong. They would rather (laughs) go to hell than acknowledge that what they've understood has been wrong. And so, ages, for ages, there have been religious people who refuse to be born again. They refuse to come into a relationship with God. They refuse to repent and turn to God like a little child. They don't want to do that. They would rather keep their rules and regulations and laws and and rituals. They would rather do those things and feel confident in themselves. That they can... You know, I sometimes almost get the feeling that some religious people take it as a challenge. You know... I can be good. I can do this. I can keep the law. I can keep this. I can do. They just see it as a challenge to themselves. But you, to come to God, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, He said, unless you become like a little child, you humble yourself like a little child, and you come to God like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Until you have that humility of heart to acknowledge, I cannot do it. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. I can't be enough of a Christian. I can't follow enough rules to be saved. I need you, O God. You need a Savior. And the religious people have a real tough time saying, I'm wrong. And you probably have some religious friends and family who, that's a tough thing. For them to say, you know, my whole idea of thinking that if I'm real religious and I go to church every week and I do this and I do that and I don't do this and I don't do that, my whole idea, that's what I think. And for you to come to the realization that, you know, none of that's going to save me. None of that's going to get me saved. That's sometimes not easy, but it is still necessary. And that's the reason Jesus said to the Pharisees right here. He said the harlots, the publicans, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they're going to get into the kingdom of heaven before you because you can't acknowledge that you're wrong. The third truth that, and this is, you know, I, I, I prayed about this one, but I tell you, I, I'm going, to, I'm going to say this. This is the truth. And that is being religious without knowing Jesus is idolatry. And I know that's a tough word. But it's still the truth. You say, why? How is it idolatry? We think about what is idolatry? Idolatry is when, we're, when you worship anything or anyone else besides God. When you put anything else in front of God, when that thing that you worship keeps you from knowing God, that is an idol. And unfortunately, throughout the Word of God, there are examples 
when people have good things and those good things, they begin to worship those good things and those good things become a snare to them and they actually become idols. Great story in Judges chapter 8. This is about uh, Gideon. Gideon had just won a great battle and, and so they wanted to make Gideon king. They wanted to make him a great leader. And he said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. But this is what he does in verse 24. However, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from your fallen enemies. The enemies, being Ishmaelites, all wore gold earrings. Gladly, they replied, they spread out a cloak, and each one threw in a gold earring he had gathered from the plunder. The weight of the gold earrings was 43 pounds not including the royal ornaments and pendants, the purple clothing worn by the kings of Midian, or the chains around the necks of the camels. What's this? Gideon made a sacred ephod. That's like a breastplate that the priest wore. Made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Oprah. I wonder if that's where she got her name. His hometown. Look at the end of this. But soon, all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it. And it, the ephod, became a trap for Gideon and his family. Unfortunately, this happened several times. Start out something being religious. Starts out being good. But if you don't watch it, You start worshiping it. You know, the Bible says not to make any graven images. The reason? Because God didn't want you worshiping images. He wants you to worship Almighty God. And He knows there's this tendency that we have to take things and those things become idols to us. Same thing happened. You remember with Moses? Moses, uh, they won a great victory. Right after that, the people began to complain. People were famous for complaining in the wilderness. And they moaned and groaned about, they began to complain about the, this stupid manna. We are tired of this manna. We wish we had some Ronnie's donuts or something, anything besides this stupid manna. And what did God do? He sent fiery serpents. Now, I don't know if that was serpents that had fire coming out or they were just, when they bit you, it felt like you were on fire. I'm not sure which, but he called them fiery serpents. And here's what God said to Moses. He said, Moses, build a bronze serpent just like what is biting them. Build a bronze serpent, put it on a stick, and everyone who's bitten will look upon that serpent and they'll be healed. Interesting. Several times, the very thing that caused them to fail became the thing that brought healing to them. But what happened later? And this, the story I'm reading is in Numbers chapter 21. But if you jumped ahead into 2 Kings 18, you would see that King Hezekiah came in and he tore down all the idols that people were worshiping, and it lists the fiery serpent on a stick, the bronze serpent, and they had begun to worship that fiery serpent. 
you see, this is the problem. Starts out being a good thing. Starts out being something from God. But if you don't watch it, that thing becomes more important than God himself. And you start relying on that thing. And and dead religion without Jesus is the same thing. It must grieve the heart of the Father to see people worshiping a dead religion and missing Jesus. Missing the, the Savior that died for them on the cross. Provided a way of life and yet they are worshiping that dead religion, the rules and regulations. They think that that's the way to life. And they've missed everything Jesus did at the cross. It must grieve the heart of the Father. And so I want to encourage you today. Don't miss what God has done for you on the cross. Don't become blinded by your efforts to make yourself clean. Don't fall into idolatry by beginning to worship things other than God himself. And then the last thing that I think is so important And that is being religious without being born again will keep you from the kingdom of God. That's what he said in verse 43. He was talking to the the Pharisees. He said, you know, and they hadn't picked it up until this point. But in verse 43, he says it to them. He says, this is an example of you. And this will keep you out of the kingdom of God. What a powerful word to people everywhere. If you, don't, if you have religion, but you are not born again, it's going to keep you from the kingdom of God. Jesus said it in John 14, 6. He said what? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except what? Through me. He made it pretty simple. And I, you've probably heard this thought. You've probably heard this idea. And I want to tell you this idea is wrong. The idea is all roads lead to God. There are many ways to get to God. That's a bunch of baloney. It's not true. All roads do not lead to Jesus. They don't all lead to God. There are not many ways to get to God. Jesus made it real clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you say, okay, why Why is God so narrow-minded? Why does God say only Jesus is the way of life? It's pretty simple. He's the only one who died for your sins. (laughs) He's the only one who suffered on the cross. He's the only one who paid the price for our redemption. He is the only one who was worth all of your sins. He is the only one who is willing to go to the cross and die for you on the cross. Therefore, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through Jesus. And you are going to hear a lot of things in the years to come. You're going to hear a lot. It is creeping into churches everywhere. It is creeping in and... Churches are becoming progressive or whatever you want to call it. I don't know, whatever term you want to use. But they're watering down the gospel. 
And they're trying to say, oh, let's be tolerant. Let's just accept everybody and everybody's going to get to God. No, that's not true. It's just not true. There are not many ways. They're one way. And and I want to close with, with this parable, not parable, but what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 9. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, come to him, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. They follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I'll tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 8. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. And they will come and go freely. And they will find good pasture. He follows up when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. By saying, I'm the gate. I'm the door. No man, and if you try and go any other way, you're a thief and a robber. There is no other way. He's the only way. And I want to encourage you today. There may be people in this room. And perhaps you walked into this room. Maybe you came, you wanted to see somebody baptized. Maybe you came and maybe you just got here by accident. And maybe you got here today and when you walked in, you believed that you being religious would somehow get you to heaven. And if that's you, you're probably mad at me. But I'd rather love you and tell you the truth than worried about being offended, than offending you. Jesus was not really worried about offending these religious Jews. He could care less. He's about to be with the King of glory. He's about to be in heaven. He's about to die on the cross. He's laying it all on the line. And so he didn't have to worry about offending these religious Jews. He was just telling them like it was. They were blind. He was telling them they were blind. And I wanted you to understand today there's hope if you're a religious person here there's hope you can lay down your religion and choose Jesus Jesus is a whole lot better now everything we do we do because we've been born again you don't go to church to get saved come to church 
because you have been saved. You don't get water baptized to get saved. You get water baptized because you are saved. You read His Word not to get you into heaven, but you read His Word because you're on your way to heaven. You see, everything we do, it's because we have a relationship with God. That relationship is through Jesus. He paid it all. And we're rejoicing with that. We're excited about that. And we want other people to know they can be free. Free. Religion will blind you. I choose Jesus. I choose life in Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you would just to bow your head just for a moment. Holy Spirit. You've been in this room from the very beginning. From the first moment we started worshiping Lord. You've been in this room. You've been in this sanctuary. Lord, we have raised our hands. We've danced before you. We've worshipped you. Given you praise and honor. We've baptized people. And now, Lord, to the best of my ability, I've declared your word to your people. Now, Lord, there are people in this room. They need you. They need to know you. They need to know who you are. And the only way they can have that is if they are born again. This morning, if you're in this room and you would be willing to say, yes, I need Jesus. I need to be born again. I need to come to Jesus. Jesus is calling you. Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart. He's tugging on the strings of your heart. He's saying to you today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day You need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe some of these young people, people of all ages in this room, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you would say, Lord, it is not my good works. It is not my efforts. It is not my ability to be religious. Lord, I I lay all that down and I just, I want to know Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Today God is calling you. The question is, will you respond? I'm going to ask the worship team. I'm going to ask them to worship. I'm going to sing that song about worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. ask you to stand at your feet if you want to be born again and you want to come to Jesus you want to, you would be willing to pray with me and say yes I need this Jesus I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat come to the front, stand right here in front of me I want to pray with you
Would you come? Anybody? You need to turn your heart and your life over to Jesus. Would you come? Anyone? Would you come? Anyone? Thank you, Lord. Father, I just ask you to draw by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, do your work, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anyone? Thank you, young man. Anybody else? I believe there are some others. Just need to be willing to say yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? young man thank you girls anybody else anybody else amen we're coming girls anybody else we're going to wait just a minute all of heaven waits anyone okay here we go we're going to pray I'm just going to ask you if you just to pray out loud with me. I'm going to lead you in prayer. And it's just a, just a prayer of surrender. Asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart, your life. And it's, it's not based on us. It's based on Him. What He did on the cross. Amen? All right. Okay. Thank you, young man. Come on. What's your name, young man? Hey, Josh. Thank you for coming. Amen. All right. We're going to pray. Pray out loud. Because this is this is you praying to God. I'm just kind of leading you in it. Okay? And I just want to tell you, when we pray this prayer, God does heart surgery. Takes out your old heart and puts in a new one. That's pretty cool. God's not going to charge you for this heart surgery. Gives you a brand new heart. You become a brand new person fills you with the Holy Spirit. Now He begins to work on the inside of you. Amen? Let's pray out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to You, Lord. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I come to You. I claim the blood of Jesus as forgiveness of my sin. Come into my heart. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Give me that new heart, new spirit. Make me a brand new person. Thank you, Lord. You've done a wonderful thing in my life. I am born again, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.